Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought without also creating division in community, and where we want to create a space and a time for you to remember how to think, but not tell you what you should think. My name's Matt Fisher. I'm the creative director here at Hill City, where we record this and every episode of the podcast, and I am here with my co-host, as always, my dear friend, my partner in crime, Mr. John Wagler. Yes, sir. (laughs) What's going on, Wags? You know, Matt, let me talk about an annoyance I have. Yes, more bad news from Wags. So this is a thing to our guest, who I will introduce in a second. <laughs> For the first year of this podcast, what's going on, Wags? It's great. Everything's fine. Things what are good. lying? Now he's it's just being more, you know, three-dimensional. You know what annoys me? When you go to the gym and <laughs> you people are there working out and they don't put the weight where it belongs. Okay. Like, if you're there to work out, put the freaking weight back where it belongs like the 45 goes in a certain place the 10 goes in a certain place it's so annoying this is why i do not I can't handle it when i work out i do like outdoors kettlebells and stuff like that because yeah. then there's only one or two other people i need to worry about i can't do the gym i just yeah. can't do it anyway um cool well thanks for sharing. So there's that <laughs> i'm glad i got that off my chest as long as they wipe the thing down i'm pretty cool with it just i like just you know i'll season. be honest i just inherently know i'm touching everyone's germs so i don't even care oh, I brother just... gotta wipe um, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> True. We not. are here to talk with our guest, author, pastor, writer of A Dude's Guide to Manhood and also A Dude's Guide to Marriage. We are here with our dear friend, Darren Patrick. Darren, what's going on, man? Man, I'm just uh, on pins and needles. So excited <laughs> to jump in and have diversity of thought without division in community. That's what I'm here for. That's good. that's how you know a tagline is good when your guests can remember it that's right, right off the bat. Yes. <laughs> it's my, I you know I've had lines, but that's the only one I feel like that's ever really stuck in five and a half years. That is your legacy. <laughs> my legacy is that is that line. <laughs> that's all right. It's like um, uh, all that's what is it? All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. I don't know that there's. Actual, that is attributed to so many different people, but whoever said it first, that's what they had to offer the world. (laughs) So, uh, Darren, you are here today, both because of your uh, expertise as an author in the topic, but also because uh, we just think that you're going to have good things to say about the topic of masculinity, which is a series we're doing right now. Tell us a little bit about sort of yourself first. So give us an intro to Darren Patrick, the elevator pitch for who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, you can go right into and kind of why like, you're a man. Why yeah, I'm a man. <laughs> a man. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about who you are and sort of like what your relation is to this topic. Yeah, so grew up, blue-collar family, dad, 10th grade education, started, you know, excavating, hit a backhoe, started building houses, started creating subdivisions. So he worked all the time, and he was – a product of his time. And so I always say my dad did the best that he could with the tools that he had, but he was an angry man. He drank a lot, very abusive to me, my sister. So I grew up as an abused kid, which when you are trying to process that, as you know, many people now unfortunately have to process that, you you really have a lot of shame, you know? And so I, I think I grew up with just this nagging, like, uh, who am I and uh, am I enough and all those kind of 
questions. And so I, I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do sports, you know, and this is where Wags and I connect a lot. It's like, I'm going to, that's how I'm going to make my way. That's how I'm going to resolve shame. That's how I'm going to be a man. Um, and so that's what I did. So I grew up, I was the kid in high school who was like the party jock guy. So I was friends with everyone. Um, we had a steroid drug ring that I led in 1988 in a, in a little rural community. So I would, uh, you know, buy drugs and weed and all kinds of stuff from the druggies and sell them to the athletes. I had a little uh, business back in the day. Um, and so that's how I grew up and I became a Christian, uh, because the graduate assistant on the football team saw that when my life fell apart, literally in one week, I got suspended from school. Um, for fighting, suspended from the football team for drinking, and just knew my girlfriend was pregnant. Just absolutely was convinced. She wasn't. I sometimes never get to say that. Uh, but she wasn't. But I just, for like two weeks, just thought she was. So my life, all of the things I trusted and came crashing down, and I was just desperate. And I didn't know I was desperate, but he started talking to me about Jesus and about what it was like to to be a man and to have a father. I mean, the whole father imagery was very important to me because I just didn't have a paradigm for that. And so gave my life to Christ, eventually was called to be in ministry, didn't know what that looked like, knew that I didn't really like the pictures of um, and the image of pastor. Like I was like, I don't want to be that one of those guys. You know, I don't want to be that. But eventually God called me to do that. And really throughout my whole ministry, and I didn't really plan this, but I've always um, had a ministry towards men, and um, and that started, you know, as a high school um, pastor, that, and then went to college, and then you're, and so I've always just had this heart, and I really do believe this that um, if we can fix the men, um, a cat, it's it's a catalytic event for women and children. I don't believe that. Um, that's the only answer. I don't believe that men are better than women. I think we're all equal before God, but I think there is something that, and, and I think we see this in, in, in history, both Christian history and world history. Uh, when men go bad, the world goes really, really bad. And when men do well, the world goes really, really, you know, it goes a lot better, I guess. And so I, I've always had that passion and, um, whether it's premarital counseling, whether it's, a one-on-one or, or preaching, I always, I always think when I, when I teach and preach, how are, how are men hearing this? And, um, yeah, so that's been my history. I wrote a couple books that I just tried to like redefine what I think are some extremes in our culture, specifically Christian culture with regard to manhood. And I, I'm really passionate about helping, um, really the church understand biblical man, manhood and biblical femininity, femininity, and, and I think it's really distorted. Um, and I think it's distorted on both sides. And I think, um, not that I have all the answers, but I'm trying to find that truth and the tension piece with all the, di- uh, the dynamic realities we deal with, with gender and with all the, just the world we live in is very, I think, confused about really the question in our culture. I don't know if you guys agree with this. What is a human being? Mm-hmm. I think that's the number one question right now. What is a human being? And um, I think the Bible has some answers to that. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's really my background and my passion. And I have, uh, been married for 20, almost 27 years. We dated for five years before that. So I'm not that old. We got married, married in middle school. <laughs> no, that's not true, but we were very young. 
Um, we have four children. We have I have three daughters and one boy, and um, he's thirteen. And um, yeah, my daughters melt my heart. Um, and my and, and my son reminds me of myself, which is good and bad. Um, but I love being a husband. I love being a dad. Um, and I just look forward to a, a day where the church can really help people live into who God has made them to be. That's really good. I, you know, there's a, right now, as you've seen throughout your travels and everything, there is a, such a strong conversation around masculinity and, which I think is coupled with, I, I think you have your, we have our men issue or man issue in the church right now from general involvement to uh, a depth of faith, um, leading in the right way, all of those things. Uh, overwhelmingly, what is it, around almost 70% in churches are typically women. Um, overwhelmingly, if you run an event, it's easier just to get women to get involved. It's Women are way better at community. Women, are, I mean, at the end of the day, women are leading the charge in almost everything, like when it's all said and done. And that's not a negative thing. It's just, it's the lack of male involvement is becoming the problem or has been the problem. When you look at masculinity in the church, what do you see as like kind of your biggest concern that you see with men right now? Well, I think, I think both, um, ecclesiologically or ecclesiolastically, I guess, and educationally, we are set up to, for women. We, you know, my son is a perfect example. So my daughter's like, love school. Like my son sitting in a row, getting a lecture without getting used his, I mean, and that's not, there are, there are, there are ladies who have prefer that too. But I think, I think biologically there's some issues there where there's something about how men are made that they're, they're, they don't, I'll just say it this way. We're set up the reason, you know, it's like the results are because our strategies are working. Sure. We are strategically um, set up to reach more women than men. I think it's just true. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, uh, so I would say that we need to think through. And I mean, I, there's some, you know, every time I say this stuff, I'm like, oh, so you're one of those muscular Christianity guys. You know, that's kind of the phrase that we choose. I think first by Billy Sunday back in the thirties, like um, this, um, which isn't, I think an over contextualization and over adaptation where at times now it's called Christic manhood. That's the new phrase where, you know, um, some Christians are using it, you know, Jordan Peterson, who I got to hang out with, you know, is probably speaking to more men than anybody right now. More, more men listen to him and he's kind of on that. So I think there's some really good course corrections to that, but I think in general, um, we don't challenge enough. We don't, we don't call them. And I, and I think that's, you know, we can debate that Ephesians five passage, but at the very least you have to acknowledge it's written mainly to husbands there. That's mainly the focus. And it's like, okay, guys, um, high challenge here. Love your wife like Jesus. So forgive first, take accountability for things that aren't necessarily your fault. Like Jesus did suffer most. So anybody gets excited, you know, like the headship doctrine, I'm going to get, I'm, if you're excited about that as a guy, you have no idea what Ephesians <laughs> is talking about. And I would argue if you're discouraged by that as a, as a wife, you don't understand Ephesians five either. 
because I think that it actually, and that's the, that's the clearest passage on marriage in the entire Bible. I mean, that's the clearest chapter that we have on marriage. And you're like, why is it that way? What is it about that? But I think at the end of the day, we can debate all that. Um, God's saying, step up, guys, and, I, and I'm going to challenge you. And I don't think we do that in the church well. Yeah. When you think about ma- even the term masculinity, what comes to mind for you? You know, I, I heard this. I don't know who said this. And if it's somebody that's horrible, don't judge me by it. But something something along, it's like the glad acceptance of being a male image bearer of God. It's like owning your who you are. Um, and there is implications to that. I think that, I think the... Um, you know, some of the way we define, the way we describe, well, men do this, men provide and women protect and men, you know, go out and conquer nature and women nurture. I think all that is a little ridiculous because I think there are guys who are, I know, I know personal friends that the husband is more nurturing toward the kids than the wife is. The wife is is the breadwinner. I don't think, I don't think that's wrong. I don't, so I don't love, like, it's so hard to nuance this. I know you guys really try to nuance. It's so hard to nuance this, but I think at the end of the day, it's it, to be masculine in a biblical sense um, is really Ephesians. I'm sorry, Galatians five. It's the fruit of the spirit, mm-hmm. which is true for men and women. Uh, and I think that you know that we're experiencing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self control. That that's what a mature Christian is. So that's what a biblical man is. Yeah. He's under the influence of the spirit. He's so what that looks like is it's different for every person. But I think in a, in 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 some way there is a distinction between male and female. And I think males and I think that Ephesians 5 passage is instructive. There seems to be an initiating challenge for men in that for husbands, sorry, in that passage. And that's where we get tricky, right? Is there's a difference between men and women and husbands and wives. There's some di- there, the Bible distinguishes some of that. But I think at the end of the day, that that passage hints at this idea that there is a headship that that husbands have that makes them accountable, um, that makes that that presses them to be more than they can be by themselves, that challenges them to to sacrifice. To love and forgive, and that's exactly what the what a wife is supposed to do. But there seems to be an initiating response um, that 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 the husbands, in a sense, go first in that. Um, and do they always go first? Are they mar- I don't know. I, I mean, I'm just trying to make sense of the text and make sense of my experience. I see a lot of marriage. I do a lot of marriage counseling. I don't. Even, I don't even know how many weddings I've done. I don't even want to think about it. I mean, forever, for 30 years, I've done weddings. We used to do 40 a year, okay? Um, so premarital counseling, and I will tell you from experience, the main complaint of wives is my husband's not stepping up. So whatever that means, <laughs> and it means different, but what they're actually asking for, I believe, is an initiating leadership that is self-sacrificing that is uh, preferring them, that is taking the lead to create a culture of challenge, encouragement, love, and affection. I think somehow that is what masculinity 
should be. I have a clarifying question. So what I heard you say, but I want you to clarify, is the idea that sort of the um, the typification of masculine, biblical masculinity is the fruits of the Spirit. Is that right? I think that's the, the um, of any Christian. Okay. Like, in other words, I think if we say what... The answer to the question, what is what is biblical masculinity and femininity at the at its essence is the fruit of the spirit. Okay. So you would say for both, sort of like the maybe the biblical essence of like not personhood, but um humanity, like to be a a, a Christian and a human is to practice the fruits of the spirit. So it's not inherently masculine or inherently Correct. feminine. Okay. Um do you think that um the culture's view of masculinity, maybe not right this minute in 2020, but what we've gotten over the last however many thousands of years, has in the way that, that our current view of masculinity is sort of in some ways at odds with what the Bible tells us about Jesus is the reason that we can't get men to come to church. I know that obviously when it comes to like masculinity and theology, the big things in our modern context that pop up in my head anyway are like, Promise Keepers, right? In like the 90s, I went to Promise Keepers with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually have fairly good memories of it, yeah. uh, if I'm honest. Me too. Um, and then the sort of, uh, uh, like Mark Driscoll was a big proponent of sort of this more masculine Jesus, this this more muscly right? Um, idea. He's riding a horse. He's got a tattoo. tattoo he's got a sword. Thigh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. All that. Yeah. So glad that tattoos are what make you masculine because I'm... <laughs> You are doing good. You are, you are stock capital up on, M stock up on masculinity. I always saw myself as a real man's man. Um, uh, so what? But what is the disconnect? Like, what is your what is your perspective on this idea that Jesus needs to be more manly in our context of what manliness is? Versus maybe the reason that it's hard to get men to come to church is because the actual Jesus in the Bible is at odds with what our perception of masculinity yeah. is. I think that's great, a great way to articulate it. I, I do. I will say it this way. I think a lot of this hyper, like I'll just call it. Um, it's you know you need to define your terms here. Like this hyper, um, overly, like non-emotional. I'll just say it, non-emotional, go-getter, muscular, tough man's man version. Like that, 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 that is what Jesus is. Self-made. Right. Well, that's the other. Yeah. Is an utter lie. Hmm. That is not, that is not all of who Jesus was. Do I think he was a man? I mean, he was the son of a carpenter. So he worked with his hands. I love that. I don't know the passion of the Christ. If you guys have watched that, the, you know, that's an interesting movie, but one of the, one of the, the, my favorite part is when he makes a table and Mary's in there. And like they kind of joke around and kind of like snaps her with a towel or something. I just thought, that's it. Because he just made a table and then he's joking with his mom and being silly. Mm-hmm. Like he's engaging femininity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of Driscoll stuff, which, you know, and, and it's easy to, it's easy now in our cultural moment. It's just like, um, you know, we always read our sensibilities back into everything, right? So we read our, 21st century sensibilities right right back into the first century. And so it's easy to do that. But what I would say is a lot of what that, and I won't just speak for Driscoll, but um, that idea of calling men to be more is a good idea. Mm-hmm. 
I do think it was um, taking taken too far, and I think that to say that because it, it, that a man is, you like sports, you work with your hands, you go to the gym, and that's what Jesus is like. That would be to me heresy because that is not what the Bible teaches. I think men taking responsibility. I think men owning up to their power as a as a man, which in this world you have the power as a man. I think that's changing, uh, but it's still true. So there's power dynamics there. But I think owning that and stewarding that well, well, and at the same time, like, you know, we talk about Enneagram stuff. Like, you know, if you're, you know, Matt, you're, can we, can I out you as your Enneagram stuff? Yeah, it's, it's no been, secret. Well, I know, I know well, you, resist, well you resist labels <laughs> as a four, but you're a four, you know? So you're, you, and, and, but I'm a three and I've got a four wing. So I'm very, attuned to that and I like design and I, I see so does that make me not a man because I like art no but I, you know what I'm saying like I so I just think some of those categories are just dumb and I think the overreaction though where we go that's toxic masculinity mm-hmm. to talk about any of that is also dumb I think there's a balance in the middle and I think it's really easy to pick sides because it sells books and gets um, you know likes but I think at the end of the day, the truth is in the tension here, and we hate living in the tension. We would much rather have good guys and bad guys, um, and I think that's what's hard in this conversation is to nuance it. So t- that that phrase, toxic masculinity, um, it's not that new of a phrase, but it's certainly become a thing recently, I think, post-Me Too, and um, it's used as sort of a, a way to describe um, – some of the sort of boys will be boys behavior that we had to to sort of confront with some of the like recordings of Trump saying X, Y, Z or yeah. the Kavanaugh thing or whatever. Um, but it's, you know, it's been around since the eighties. It's like, a, uh, I think it was like called the mono mono poet movement or something like that. But this term toxic masculinity, do you feel that this is, I have seen people um, sort of, widely disregard it so like oh toxic masculinity is just a way for them to tell you that you can't be you or you can't hunt or fish or make things with your hands or whatever um do you think that it's not a useful concept or do you think that it's toxic masculinity is a reality that maybe gets miswielded sometimes you know i think it's a real thing i think it's a great term um so just like toxic shame you know there's a shame there's a there's a if you were, will a a right shame, mm-hmm. but there's a toxic shame. So I think there's a right masculinity. There's a to- so I, I love I love that it's been named because I think it's helpful, but I also think like the way it's applied, you know, is unhelpful a lot of times. And the way it's it's another way to divide up good guys and bad guys, mm-hmm. which is always what religion does, and and even even people that are irreligious. We're always trying to justify ourselves and be on the good guy's side and then make somebody else the bad guys. And I think that when it's used that way, I think it's harmful. When it's used thoughtfully to write and, and it's well-defined and it's not a broad brush, I think it's incredibly helpful. I also think with the toxic masculinity part, there's the bro culture that's toxic. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that whole thing that or the self-made thing, the labeling that that I think that's toxic. I think what Darren was saying about when someone's into art 
and music and poetry and all those things and saying that's not manly, that's toxic. I think labeling um, in some of like, obviously we've talked about this, like we love so many elements of the Me Too movement and we've talked about that and it's been so powerful and so grateful for so much of it. And, um, but there's also like a little hint and I'm always careful with this a little bit, but there's a little hint of toxicity with it in terms of when it comes to men where some men that might be in power or still have like a stronger personality can get lumped in with those that abused it, you know? And so that can also be toxic. So I think even the, the term toxic masculinity often gets kind of like forced into this little, the bro cultures side, which should be, you know, but it is a little bit bigger from a lot of different kind of viewpoints, you know, from my perspective. Hey everyone, it is Matt. I just wanted to let you all know that uh, this was a long conversation, so we decided to break it up into two episodes. Make sure to tune in next week for uh, the remainder of our conversation with Darren Patrick about masculinity. In the meantime, if you have questions, comments, quips, or quotes, you can email them to staycurious at hillcityrva.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, staycuriouspod, uh, or you can follow us on the bad website, Twitter, at Stay Curious Cast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. And until then, remember, stay curious.